Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 424 for January 4th, 2015. This week, I've been yammering about the new look and feel for months. Finally, you get a chance to see them. Alien Skin has released a new version of Exposure, and photographers are going to want it. Kodak plans to introduce a new camera in a smartphone at the Consumer Electronics Show. In short circuits, China blocks access to Gmail. Pew Research says most of us think the internet makes us more productive. China's high-tech manufacturers roar. And a new section on the website, but not in the podcast, Spare Parts, considers predictions of Google in the 1950s, why some craft beers are in cans, the Internet of Things now has a dual-band operation, advertisers in the U.S. tip their hats to China, and preparing for really wide screens. Every year or two, I give the website a bit of an update. This year, the update is more extensive than it has been in the past. For 2015, the site has been updated to be fully HTML5 and CSS3 compliant. It is also responsive and adaptive. Those are both important considerations at a time when more people use portable devices to view websites. If you're interested in what's going on behind the scenes, this next section contains the details, probably more than you ever wanted to know. The most significant change is intended to make the TechBiter website more usable on portable devices as well as on desktop systems. Because these smaller devices have become so popular for viewing websites, I decided it was finally time to become fully compliant with design that is both responsive and adaptive. Responsive design is intended to serve pages that are consistent with the needs of the viewing device, whether that device is a desk monitor that has 2,000 pixels across or a phone with a screen of just a few hundred pixels. Adaptive design is somewhat similar, except that it's intended to make subtle modifications to the display if the user changes the window size of the browser. The best of both worlds has these two functionalities working together, and that's what I hope I've achieved on the TechBiter Worldwide website. You'll see some new graphics. There's a new microphone in the upper left corner of each page. It was created by Moy Cody and licensed through RGB stock. Although the image began depicting a microphone on a desk, I modified it so that it more closely resembles a microphone on a boom. If the podcast opening theme startled you, sorry about that, it's because all the theme music and incidental music have changed. All the music is the work of Jason Shaw at Audionautics. Jason is from Pittsburgh and says he grew up listening to all sorts of music in the backseat of his parents' car on Sunday drives. My dad would flip through the radio from rock to country to classical. He seemed to love all kinds of music, Jason says, and he infected me with that too. Jason Shaw plays multiple instruments, but he also uses sound samples, loops, drum machines, software synthesizers, and according to him, whatever's handy. He says although he can read music, he generally composes by ear. Clearly, he has a pretty good ear. Most of the thumbnails on the TechBiter Worldwide website have a larger view that displays when you click it. Previously, the instructions about how to get the image to go away were a little murky. So the entire process has been improved, and the instructions made a bit more clear. 
For the past couple of months, you've heard a slightly new sound from me. Late in 2014, I decided it was time to upgrade the microphone, too. I had been using a Cascade Flathead for several years, great microphone, but its pickup pattern doesn't work well in my recording environment. I've now replaced the Flathead with a Shure SM7B dynamic microphone with an option for boosting what's called presence effect. That, combined with a cardioid pickup pattern and an SE Electronics RFX reflection filter, virtually eliminate noise from behind the microphone. And with the presence effect, ambient room noise is also attenuated. Cardioid means that the microphone picks up sound in a heart-shaped pattern. You'll see an image on the TechBiter Worldwide website that explains how this works. The greatest sensitivity is directly in front of the microphone, with reasonably good response to about 60 degrees off-axis. Behind the microphone, beyond about 120 degrees or so off-axis, response is down by 10 dB and then quickly to 20 dB. What that means in plain English is that sound from behind the microphone will be very hard to hear. That is particularly important in my case. The addition of the reflection filter further reduces noise from behind the microphone. Regardless of when I start recording the weekly podcast, several things seem to happen immediately. Every twin-engine airplane within 500 miles of Columbus elects to land at Don Scott Airport. All of the refuse collection trucks, recyclables, trash, and yard waste decide that this would be a perfect time to work my street. Fire and police vehicles choose the neighborhood for test runs, and the guy with the Harley drives around the block about a dozen times. Oh, and all the dogs in about a three-block radius start barking? Well, you get the idea. Eliminating noise is important. Sweetwater Audio describes the Reflection Filter X this way. It gives you access to SE's patented acoustic filter technology at an affordable price. SE developed new materials that are lightweight, yet rugged enough to stand up to the most demanding work environments. An outer composite panel, a wool fabric layer, an air gap layer, and an inner acoustic foam layer form a unique four-layer design that imparts near-zero sonic coloration to your tracks. All I know is it works. And I have no association with Sweetwater other than being a satisfied customer. If you find yourself looking for some professional audio gear, I'd recommend giving Sweetwater in Fort Wayne, Indiana an opportunity to earn your business. And there's one more addition to the website this year. It's the addition of an RSS feed to the TechBiter News Update page. RSS means really simple syndication, and it pulls interesting content from lots of other websites. Although the content will be subject to change, I envision using the left column for security feeds, the right column for more general technology news, and the center column will contain more visually interesting items. Because the information can change many times a day, you might want to consider using the TechBiter site as your hub for technology news. If you have recommendations for additional content, just let me know. Okay, so that's probably a lot more than you needed to know or wanted to know, but this year's update is the most complete refresh the site has ever had.
And now for something that is both new and a lot of fun. Get a load of what Alien Skin has done with exposure. Version 7 includes the ability to work directly with raw images, and when used as a standalone application, Exposure 7 saves all of its changes in sidecar files that will be recognized by applications such as Lightroom and Photoshop. Also, the previously separate application, Bokeh, is now included in Exposure. This is an outstanding way for photographers to start the new year. Certainly, there are no indecent exposures here. When operated in standalone mode, Exposure 7 displays presets and folders on the left, selected images are highlighted, and information about the images is provided. For testing, the image I selected is a 3,888 pixel wide by 2,592 pixel tall image. It's a CR2 file, that extension means it's a raw image, and it identifies the camera as a Canon, in this case a Canon EOS 60D, with an EFS 18-200mm zoom lens. The focal length at the time of the exposure was 150mm, and there's a navigator that makes it possible to pan around the image if you've zoomed in. The adjustments are in a panel that's shown at the lower right. That's a lot of information on one screen. When one of the preset types is expanded, you'll see the specific preset types either as large or small thumbnail images, or as a list. These are where you should start. Pick the general look you want before even glancing over at the right-hand side of the screen. Some people make the mistake of starting on the right panel, then finding that all of their changes are lost when they select a different preset. Start with the presets. My test image is of a Sichuan Takin at the wilds. Wiles is about 70 miles east of Columbus in 10,000 acres of land that was formerly strip-mined. The Wiles is a conservation and breeding facility for these animals, a subspecies of the Takin, or goat antelope. Listed as a vulnerable species, the Sichuan Takin is native to Tibet and the provinces of Sichuan, what a surprise, Gansu and Xinjiang of the People's Republic of China. The image I started with was acceptable as is, although I thought I could improve it with Exposure 7. And after looking through several of the presets, I selected Kodachrome 25 as my starting point. I wondered what would happen if I increased the exposure quite a bit and dropped the contrast back. Well, that's not an approach that I would generally take for an image such as this. It just looks all washed out. But if you're looking for a website background more like a watermark, this treatment would work for something like that. That's not what I was looking for, of course. And I did this only so that I could show how an effect can be moderated. At the top of the settings panel, there's a single control called Overall Intensity, and it allows you to mix your effect, what you've created, with the original image. So I reduced the overall intensity to 37%. That created kind of a high key effect for the image. All right, that's fine too, but it's not what I was looking for. Before proceeding, I decided to size the image for its intended use. I selected the 8 by 10 aspect ratio, which would fit a standard desk frame, and it's also the appropriate ratio for certain larger sizes, such as 24 by 30. Then, with the image cropped the way I wanted it, I decided that a vignette that darkened the edges would serve to draw attention to the Takin's face. After starting with a vignette preset, I made some adjustments until I was satisfied with the placement of the vignette and its extent. Previously, Alien Skin sold Bokeh as a separate application. Now it's included in Exposure 7. The eye is naturally drawn to areas of sharp focus. Even though the vignette effect had darkened the vegetation around the talk, and I thought that softening the focus everywhere but on the animal's 
face would help. After centering the bokeh effect about midway between the Takin's nose and its eyes, I elongated the circular center to oval shape, rotated it a little bit to better fit the Takin's face, and then adjusted the transition area. With the process complete, it was time to export the image. Although I could have exported the RAW file to TIFF or JPEG, I chose to export it in RAW format, place it in the same folder as the initial image, and add exposure to the file's name. When I opened Adobe Lightroom, the modified image was recognized as a new file in the directory. Using the standard Lightroom import function, I added it to the catalog. And check out my final image on the TechBiter Worldwide website. I think it's quite an improvement over the original. Exposure 7 includes several new film look presets. Kodak Portra 160, 400, and 800. Kodak Gold 400 and 200. Fuji Pro 800Z and Sensia Extra 400 and 800. New black and white filters include Ilford XP2 400. Kodak BW400CN and TMAX 400. You'll also find a video by Alien Skin's Jimmy Beach. I think they bought him a new microphone, too. He has a series of programs that explain how to use Exposure 7. The one linked to the TechBinder Worldwide website just covers the new features. The bottom line for Exposure 7, five cats, Exposure 7 reigns supreme. It hasn't been all that long since I was excited by new features in Exposure 6, the full version sells for $150. Upgrades from previous versions are priced at $70. It's hard to imagine a better way to spend a few dollars if you're serious about photography. You'll find additional details on the Alien Skin webpage. There's a link from the TechBiter Worldwide website. Seems like we're sticking with a theme here today. Kodak, once the film company, tried to rebrand itself as the picture company when the digital revolution began. That didn't work out very well because people don't use photos the way they used to. Now we make websites, share photos by email, make mugs and calendars that contain photos. We don't print them as much as we used to. Kodak even tried manufacturing digital cameras for a while, but the models it created didn't work out very well. Now, following bankruptcy, Kodak will once again be manufacturing digital cameras. Now, you may notice that I had a bit of inflection on the word Kodak. That's because it isn't Kodak that'll be building the cameras. The Kodak trademark will be used under license by Britain's Bullet Group Limited. And the cameras won't be just cameras. These Kodak devices will be built into smartphones. Bullet says the devices are aimed at, but not exclusively for, consumers who want a high-end experience but aren't always as comfortable using increasingly complicated mobile devices as they would like to be. The new phones and tablets will have custom-designed applications for capturing images, managing images, and sharing images. Remote management software is expected to allow family members and friends to provide help and support when needed. Despite Kodak's bankruptcy, the name is still a most recognizable brand. Bullet CEO Oliver Schulte says that his company has used Kodak's heritage 
to inspire a range of devices that he says will let users take great pictures and edit, share, store, and print them in an instant. Schulte says the designers of these phones will be uncompromising on the device's usability and will deliver simplicity without compromise. One of the primary goals is to give users an easy way to print and share photos. If this works, it will be good financially for Kodak because the company's strength is in processing and printing. The phones will use the Android operating system, and thus they will have to fight for market share with a variety of entrenched models from several manufacturers known for building phones. Kodak, on the other hand, is known, but not for building phones. Check out the TechBiter Worldwide website. There you'll find what claims to be a design concept for the Instamatic 2014. In short circuits, the Chinese government says it's not responsible, but Gmail is currently unavailable in China. The Global Times, that's a state-run newspaper, says citizens should simply stop whining. Researchers concur that the blocks seem to have been put in place by the Chinese government. Perhaps they gave some consideration to North Korea, but probably not. An editorial in the Global Times said that if China blocked access to Gmail, it must have had a good reason for doing so. Apparently, in an attempt to come down on all sides of the issue, the editorial then stated that the government probably didn't block access to Gmail. This is based, it says, on the simple fact that neither the Chinese government nor Google managers have explained the outage. It finally ended up describing it this way. Puzzling. Earlier this year, China started blocking Gmail, Google Search, and other services. Users had been able to get around that and send and receive messages by avoiding Gmail's web interface, and instead using POP3 or IMAP email clients. Now, those don't work either. The Chinese government clearly doesn't like Google, and nearly five years ago, Google moved its Chinese servers to Hong Kong. A year later, China blocked Gmail access for a time, but attempted to make the problem appear to be Google's fault. If somebody asked you if the internet made you more productive at work, what would you say? According to the Pew Research Center, workers believe the internet does make them more productive. Despite complaints about frequent email interruptions, most workers in the survey credited email with helping them to do their jobs. In the online survey, and of course it was online, Pew found that more than half of respondents said internet technologies have made them more productive. Only 7% said they were less productive as a result of having internet access. Social media, though, have a way to go to gain workers' respect. About 4% said that services such as Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter were important to them. Compare that to email. More than 60% of workers said email is important to their jobs. The results of the survey apparently got Facebook's attention, and the company is working on a version of the application that will be aimed at office workers. Now, what could Facebook do that LinkedIn doesn't already do in an office environment? And if LinkedIn is already low on workers' radar, how would Facebook for office workers score any better? Email has been around for a very long time, since before the Internet was called the Internet. Long experience with email might be why it continues to be popular in offices. 
It'll be interesting to see how email fares with younger workers, some of whom simply refer to email as instant messaging for old people. Office workers like old phone technology, though. More than 30% said a landline phone was essential, although it's possible that a lot of those landline phones are really voice-over-internet protocol devices. About 25% said they felt a cell phone was essential to their job. Xiaomi makes smartphones in China. Unlike Samsung or Apple, companies that also manufacture smartphones in China, Xiaomi is a Chinese company. Its phones seem to be well-made and inexpensive, and therefore popular. The company has just raised more than $1 billion from private equity firms. Three years ago, maybe even two years ago, you probably wouldn't have recognized the name. It might be new to you now. But it is the third largest smartphone manufacturer in the world. Only Samsung and Apple are larger. Oh, and the largest PC maker in the world is Lenovo. Lenovo is a Chinese company that operates in more than 60 countries and sells computers and other equipment in more than 150 countries. Lenovo's principal facilities are in Beijing, Morrisville, North Carolina, and Singapore. It also has research and development facilities in Japan. Lenovo was founded in 1984, just the year that the personal computer revolution became a tidal wave and it acquired IBM's personal computer division in 2005. Nine years later, Lenovo acquired IBM's Intel-based server division. The company also makes smartphones and is the largest phone vendor in China. But to get back to Xiaomi, outside China, it may run into some intellectual property suits by competing manufacturers. A suit by Ericsson temporarily stalled the company's sales in India last year. One of the interesting things about how the company does business is that it doesn't claim to be a manufacturer. Instead, it sells its hardware at low prices to develop a market for software and services. This isn't exactly a new concept. Back in the 1950s, RCA virtually gave away 45 RPM record players. They did that to develop a market for singles, the recordings that provided a constant source of income until music went digital. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.